invite you to turn to the book of Ruth. It's been a little while since we've been in the book of Ruth. Once you've found the spot, if you'd please stand with me as we read from God's Word. Our text this evening is going to be Ruth, chapter 2, the first seven verses. I'm going to read just a bit more for context to remind you of where we've been. It's been some time. So I'm going to begin at verse 19 of chapter 1. Please hear now the word of the Lord that is holy, inerrant, and authoritative. Ruth, chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Praise be to the Lord for his word. Please be seated. Some of you may have seen a play or heard about it or read it by the name of Waiting for Godot. It's a play written by a man who does not know God. And so, to be quite frank with you, the play is quite boring. Because what happens is, these two men are waiting for Godot, which as you can guess, G-O-D-O-T, is a metaphor in this play for God. And they spend the whole play waiting around and talking, and Godot, God, never shows up. They talk about their difficulties. They talk about suffering. And God never shows up. He's completely absent. And sometimes we're tempted, even as Christians, to think like that at times. Especially times of difficulty. We think we're 
on our own. We think that we are left without the Lord's presence. And our text this evening shows to us that the Lord does not abandon us to ourselves and our own means. If we think of the book of Ruth as a drama of redemption, if we think of Galatians as teaching about how we are saved and how we are redeemed by God, Ruth is a story about how this happens. It's given pictures for us in people like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. There's even later on in the book, we're going to find out there's a Mr. So-and-so, is literally what the Hebrew says. So it's, it's, a, it's a picture because the Lord knows that sometimes we learn from direct teaching and sometimes we learn from stories. And so he's given us good stories. And so what I'd like us to see this evening is how God is active in the drama of redemption. And as we look at our text this evening, we're going to see that the characters in this drama are introduced. We're going to look and first we're going to see Ruth. We're going to see a bit about her character and what the Lord reveals to us about the woman named Ruth. And I hope it will provide encouragement for each of us, but especially for the ladies. And then, the Lord provides for us another picture in a man named Boaz. And who he's like. He comes on the stage. And we learn a bit about who he is. But finally, in our text, I don't want you to miss the not-so-hidden hero. If we had a bulletin, that would be the title of the sermon. The not-so-hidden hero. And it's God. Because you see, God is all over this passage. We just have to scratch the surface a bit to find Him. And so, what I would like us to do then this evening is to look and to see Ruth in the great drama of redemption, to see Boaz, and then to see the Lord. First, let's look at Ruth. Ruth is perhaps one of the most famous women in the Bible. And it's interesting that this book is even named Ruth because she doesn't speak the most in this book. She's not really the end of the purpose of this book because as we'll see when we finally get to the end of it, it's about talking about the the line of David and the coming king. She's not the most active person in the book, though she is heavily involved. But the question would be then, why is Ruth held up for us? You may recall that the last time we were here, I said that in the Hebrew canon, they often placed Ruth right after which book in the Bible? Do you remember? The book of Proverbs. Because what's the last chapter of the book of Proverbs? Ladies, young women, Proverbs, the virtuous woman. The woman of virtue. And Ruth is a picture of this woman of virtue. And so, what does she look like? Well, first, she's a woman of faith. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Ruth goes to Naomi and she says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth immediately, as she steps onto the scene here in chapter 2, steps out in faith. You see, she's a woman of strong faith, and what that does not mean is that she sits waiting for something to happen. She has faith in the Lord, but she doesn't just wait around for something to drop in her lap. 
there's really almost no interval between the arrival and her going out. Now, I want you to picture this, ladies. You've done this. You've been on a trip. And you come home, and the house needs to be cleaned right away. Or there are things to be done in the house, and right away you've got to go out and do something, right? It's difficult to get yourself going for that, isn't it? Now, imagine that you've just been out. Your husband has died. Your father-in-law has died. Your sister-in-law has left. Your mother is telling you, go home. And you travel back to a foreign land. And you get back there. And you're tired and you see that right now is barley harvest. And if you want to eat, you've got to go out right now. So what Ruth does is, she looks and by faith she sees and is able to orient herself to seeing that the needs of her mother-in-law, Naomi, and herself are more pertinent than her own rest. And she begins to act. And there's an interesting thing that happens here. You may recall in chapter 1, it was Naomi who was the actor and Ruth who was the reactor. Naomi said, go, and Ruth said, no. Naomi went home and Ruth followed. Naomi is sort of the main character of chapter 1. Now this is reversing. Ruth here, this foreigner, this Moabitess, as Ruth, the book of Ruth keeps reminding us, she takes the initiative. She says, basically, mother, I think I need to go out and do this. And Naomi then reacts. Go. Go ahead, my daughter. I want you to see here that Ruth's faith is an active faith. And part of trusting in the Lord is to act. You see, we can miss that. Because when we speak of faith often, it is often very wise to speak of faith in a passive sense. Faith is something that the Lord gives to us. Faith is trusting in the Lord. But you see, the consequences of being empowered by God in faith and in trusting in God is to act. Think of your children. When they know they're secure, they will act, and they will act even in the craziest of ways. When your children are young, like my youngest, Abby, when she sees me and my arms are out, she doesn't even think about where she is. She knows I'm going to catch her, and she will leap off of who knows what because she has complete faith and trust in me to catch her. How much more so should we have faith in our Lord to provide for us, even in the gravest of circumstances? That's the type of woman that Ruth is. She's not just a woman of faith, though. She's also a woman of hope. You see, she's in a situation that could be desperate beyond all hope. We see that even in the beginning of this chapter, a contrast between Boaz, who's a man of substance and wealth and power, and these two poor women who are poor and powerless. She could easily just bow her head down and give up. But she doesn't. She has hope. She even says, she says, I'm going to go out and glean, and I'm going to go out and see... A man in whose sight I'll find favor. She has hope that the Lord will grant her favor in the eyes of someone that she doesn't even know. Because she's trusting in the Lord. She's cast worry and doubt and fear aside. That's important for us to think through too, isn't it? Because we can, as we talked about this morning, we can be paralyzed by fear. We can be paralyzed by worry. But Ruth points us to hope. 
and to hope in the Lord. And then lastly, Ruth has a characteristic that we Americans need to emulate. She's a woman of perseverance. We are very tempted, I stand at the head of the line, to give up when the going gets tough. To think God has abandoned us. To think that it can't be done. And Ruth perseveres on through difficulty. Look what the text says in verse 7. It says that she's the type of woman who came and continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She's doing back-breaking, difficult work in a field where she doesn't know if she'll be attacked by Israelites who might hate her because she's a Moabitess. And she perseveres on in her work, trusting in the Lord. We need to have that same sort of attitude as we trust in the Lord. Raising children is difficult. There are times we want to give up. Witnessing to others is difficult. There are times we want to give up. Trying to focus upon spiritual disciplines like prayer or reading the scriptures are difficult. And we want to give up. And what faith and hope point us to is perseverance. Because we have faith and hope in the Lord. This is Ruth. Well, the second character that comes on the scene that provides for us instruction in godliness is Boaz. And he comes on the scene almost in a flourish. Not that he is uh, someone who is ostentatious, but the the author is ostentatious for us. If this were a play, (coughs) the musicians would play a, a flourish Or the trumpets would blare and Boaz would come on the scene. Look what the text says. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. The author wants to get our attention. It's it's almost as if the author is saying to us, you remember this man I told you that was related to Naomi? And Ruth went out and she's persevering and working hard and she happened to go into a field of this man named Boaz, wouldn't you know it? Boaz shows up just then. Hmm. Talk a little bit more about that later. But Boaz happens to show up, and the first thing that we see about him, the very first words we hear from him, is that he is a godly man. Look what he says. He comes and he sees his workers, his hired hands, And he says, the Lord be with you, using the covenant name of the Lord. Your Bibles probably have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The first words out of his mouth. Now, that is not some platitude. Because the ordinary thing for a man to say when he greeted someone else would be what you still hear in modern Israel, right? You've probably heard it. They would greet each other by saying, Shalom, peace. They might even say what is said back to Boaz. The Lord bless you. We do find that in the Scriptures as well. But not with Boaz. He says, the Lord be with you. He's being conscientious about speaking about God. And his character is revealed by the response from his workers. They respond right back to him. The Lord bless you. Boaz is the type of man who runs his business such that everyone knows that God is his Lord. 
We don't often see that today, do we? If you're like me, and you hear about someone who is a Christian plumber, or a Christian architect, or a Christian lawn service company, you probably don't want to hire them. Because oftentimes that's used as an excuse for laziness. It's used for an excuse to cover up what's really happening in the working world. But you see, with Boaz, there's substance. Boaz is a man that the Lord permeates every area of his life. That's the type of men that the Lord wants us to be. We don't need to be flashy, but we need to be godly so that others see that in us. Notice here that Boaz's godliness doesn't make him weak. Boaz is not a wimp. Look how he's described in verse 1. He is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This worthy man is incredibly difficult to translate. Not because this is a bad translation or some other version is a bad translation. It's because if you really wanted to translate it, you'd need like a paragraph. Because what's bound up in here is the same word that's used of mighty warriors who go out. And it also means a man of respect and substance in the community. And it also means a man of great wealth and power. It's, it's such that oftentimes you just talk, talk about uh, an ishail. You use Hebrewisms that people don't understand because it's like that certain je ne sais quoi. Right? We just use that because we're not really sure we want to use the long version of that. That's the type of man Boaz is. He's a powerful man. But he's not weakened. He's strengthened by his respect for the Lord and the way the Lord appears in his everyday life. But he's also a compassionate man. Being powerful doesn't keep him from compassion. Look at what the first thing he does is. He comes in, he surveys his field, and he says in verse 5, Whose young woman is this? He notices Ruth and he's concerned. And he asks a very odd question. Do you see that? What would you ask if you saw Ruth? You'd say, who is she? What's her name? You wouldn't say, whose is she? But you see, to Boaz, he's immediately thinking, Here's a woman out alone. Who protects her? Is she protected? Whose is she? Does she have a husband? Does she have a father? He's concerned and compassionate, and he desires to protect her. Now, there's application there for us today, men, isn't there? Do we show compassion to others? You know, that is sorely missing in our day, isn't it? Men, men are afraid to show compassion because they might seem weak. And yet here a powerful man of God sees a woman alone and potentially helpless and his thoughts immediately go out to her. This is the way he can serve his Lord. Finally, we see that Boaz is a virtuous man. He is this worthy man, this mighty man. He is a man of strength and power. He is a man of honor. It's the same way that we speak about a woman in Proverbs 31. That's who Boaz is. 
And seeing that, we immediately see what's happening here. We've just talked about Proverbs 31. We've seen Ruth, and she's a woman of honor. And now we see a man of honor. And this is like when you gentlemen watch a a film with your wife. And you're like me, and you stand there and you go, okay, when are they going to get married? Have they had their fight yet? And then they can make up and then they can get married? Because all those movies end all the same way. You can almost see the pieces being moved into play. Now, why is that important? Is that because this is a Hebrew soap opera? (laughs) Or because marriage is the greatest thing in life? No. It's because there's not just two people in this picture here. There's three. The Lord is present here. It's not by accident that these things are happening. It's the Lord working out His will in their lives. The Lord is present here because we see Him and we see Him protecting His people. Now, Ruth comes in and she and Naomi have no means of supporting themselves at all. They don't own any land that they can work. Well, they own land, but they can't work it. They don't have a rainy day fund. They don't have a husband or a son to help them. They're pretty helpless. So what can they do? Well, Ruth gets an idea to go and to glean after the reapers. And we might think, well, that's a pretty good idea. But don't miss what's happening. The reason that she can go and the reason that she can glean is because Generations before, the Lord went before her and established a law permitting and encouraging what she did. The book of Leviticus, the book that very often does not get read by us, but provides insights in situations like this. There's a reason why those many laws are just reiterated out to us. And here's one good example. In Leviticus 19, the Lord lays down a law for His people. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, the alien, Ruth. Why? I am the Lord your God. Repeated again in Leviticus 23. God says things twice. But He doesn't just say it twice. He says it three times. He says it in Deuteronomy 24. He says, When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Pretty much describes Ruth and Naomi. Now, why would we do that? Because... We do that, that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the works of your hands. You see, God is reminding the Israelites that He is the true landowner. You remember that each of the tribes got an inheritance? And it passed down from family to family, and there were regulations so that it would stay in the family? Even if you lent, you were supposed to every... 49 years, forgive, and a year of jubilee. 
The Lord is the true owner of the land. And He is reminding His people that He is protecting them. He is their protector. But He's not just their protector, He's also sovereign. This verse 3, that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This sounds like something out of a Dickens novel. Right? She goes out and she just happens to wander. In, and there's no markings. There's no signs. There's no fences. She just happens to be out in the field of Boaz. And the language here is so over the top. It's not that she happened. It's almost that she happened by chance, perhaps, to come into the field. The author is is waving this up in front of us. He's put it in bold print in the Hebrew. That this is the providence of God. This is what God has done. Nothing happens by chance. Not even where Ruth goes. God is guiding her steps. God has looked before her. He is providing for her. And He is in charge. What a comfort for us. Isn't it? Have you ever felt like you're walking out in the dark? First child that you send off to college. The first grandchild. Wondering if your kids can be parents. The first day of school, kids. You're walking out in the dark and you don't know where to go. What a comfort to know that the Lord has gone before you and that the Lord is guiding your steps and that the Lord is sovereign everywhere. Not just in the big things, but in the little things too. The Lord is sovereign. Do we observe this in the accidents of life? You know those things, those coincidences that happen? You just happen to bump into someone you haven't seen in a long time just happen to have a certain conversation. We need to see the hand of the Lord in all areas of our life. You see, God is active here. He is not absent. He is not somewhere off stage. He is involved in our lives. He is present. One of the great heresies is that of deism that says that God takes the world like a watch and he winds it up and he lets it go. No. God is like a tender shepherd shepherding his sheep each day. He is sovereign. And then finally, our Lord is faithful. How do we see this? Well, I think we see this specifically in the person of Boaz. You see, our Lord has made a promise back Adam and Eve. And he's continued that promise to the patriarchs and to the Israelites that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And he's preparing a line for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is maneuvering everything like the master because he is the master. Bringing Boaz, the perfect man for this time who just happens to be a close relative of Ruth. He just happens to keep the line of Elimelech alive. They both just happen to be in the same line. He just happens to be a man of substance and power. 
Ruth just happens to be a woman of energy and faith. Naomi just happens to decide then to go back. It just happens to be right then that there's a harvest. Come on. This is the Lord being faithful to His promises. And we see it in the character of Boaz. Here is a man who is godly, who is compassionate. Here is a man who has taken great steps. We're going to see the first of them here. To protect Ruth. And you might say to yourself, well, I wonder why. Why does Boaz see Ruth? Is it, you know, something in his personality? He's a helper? Maybe Ruth's pretty pretty. And he sees her and he's enamored with her. She is a lot younger than he is. You know, what's going on here? What's in the background? And there's a little piece to the puzzle. You know, one of the things that's interesting to do with the Scriptures is to put the pieces together and see. And one of the passages that, are, that we like to read only a little bit more than Leviticus are long lines of genealogies, right? Who likes to read that section in Chronicles? It's like, what, seven chapters where they just go through genealogies, right? Why do, why do we bother to put that in the Bible? You know, one of those is in Luke. Long genealogy. As a matter of fact, you know, Luke goes all the way back, if I recall correctly, to Adam. Why does Luke go take the genealogy of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam, the Son of God? Well, if we look near the end of this, we see something. We see in verse 32 that David is the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon. Hmm. And if we go over to Matthew, and we think, well, not one genealogy is enough in the Bible, we need two. What does Matthew say? We know who Boaz is. He's the son of, of Salmon, or Salah, depending on how you pronounce the Hebrew and what you do it. Well, then we look here, let's, let's see what Matthew has to say. That, beginning in verse 3, that Judah, the, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon. You're getting tired already, right? <laughs> and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Well, that's interesting. And then we stop and we think, why is Boaz the man that he is? Well, the reason why Boaz is a man of faith is because that's what his mother taught him. Hebrews 11. She's a woman of faith. Why would Boaz have compassion on a foreign woman? Because that's what his mother that she was the beneficiary of that. And that that's how godly men act. Ruth is the beneficiary of this. But ladies, 
when you toil at home with a dirty diaper or a child who doesn't obey or a dinner that burns because the oven didn't work right. That's what Rahab did. Rahab didn't conquer cities. Rahab didn't write a book of the Bible. Rahab raised Boaz. A powerful, virtuous man of God who takes care of a woman and who is in line for David the King and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Great King. You see, our God is present in small things, in a chance meeting between two people who have certain backgrounds that they have because God is faithful and He keeps His promises. He keeps them for Boaz, he keeps them for Ruth, and he keeps them for you. He is faithful. What a God we serve.